So today we continue in our series called Defining Moments. Uh, The whole series is based upon this idea that the choices we make today shape who we become tomorrow. And so uh, we're going to talk about another defining moment that we often experience in life. Um, And and that's around the issue of fear. Right? One of the most repeated commands in the Bible, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, it's not even the Golden Rule, the most repeated commandment in the Bible is the command fear not, or do not be afraid. And so God has to tell everyone in Scripture, throughout Scripture, he has to tell Abraham, he has to tell Joseph, he has to tell Moses, he has to tell Joshua, he has to tell David and Mary and the Apostle Paul, he has to tell all of them, do not be afraid. He has to tell me to not be afraid, and today he's going to tell all of us to not be afraid. And so I want to begin by asking us, what are you afraid of? Right, that, oh, I don't have my little clicker here. What are you afraid of? Would you take a moment, grab this, uh, grab your bulletins, the back of your bulletins, and uh, take like 20 seconds and write down some things that come to mind when you think of things that you are afraid of. Go ahead and do that now. Immediately, I could think of some uh, pretty easy answers. Uh, I could think of maybe answers that you've written down. Maybe you, you put, I'm, I'm afraid of spiders or snakes. Right? That's a common one. Or another one, another common one is I'm afraid of heights. Um, one that I've heard that's uh, pretty peculiar is uh, I'm, I'm afraid of clowns, right? Uh, imagine having like nightmares with a clown just chasing after you. That's pretty scary. Some of you are afraid that the person next to you, sitting next to you, is going to peek over and see what you've written down, right? And so we're always afraid of something. Others of you uh, act kind of more, a little bit more courageous and a little bit more brave, and you think, ah, you know, I'm not scared of much. I'm pretty fearless. Anybody here in that camp, fearless, not afraid of much, didn't write anything down? Nobody. Wow. Okay, one person. Uh, what's that? Losing your mind, okay. Well, well Josh uh, and I, uh, well, we're, we're a lot like, alike, Josh, right? I, I, on the outside, I'm kind of a person that's like, ah, I'm not afraid of much, right? I, I'm, not a, I'm not scared of spiders or snakes or heights or clowns. or uh, There's not much that scares me. In fact, I remember soon after getting married back uh, in 2000, a new game show just came out back then called Fear Factor. A- anybody remember that show or have watched that show? Is, that, is it still on? It is. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. Well, it's, it's a reality TV show where it pushes its contestants to face their greatest fears, right? Like jumping out of a helicopter, being buried alive in a coffin full of snakes, or eating a live African, African cave-dwelling spider. And every Monday night, we'd come home, Amy and I, and we'd watch this, and Amy would be like, oh, that's so scary, or oh, that's so disgusting, and I'd be like, ah, that's not scary. Ah, that's not too bad. After a while, uh, after watching the show for a little bit, I, I said to Amy, you know what? I, I think I'm going to go try out for the show. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, 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 I-, I mean it. I am certain I can win the $50,000 prize for overcoming all of the three challenges. 
And, and she's like, no, don't do that. I can't believe you're, like, you wouldn't be scared jumping out of a, a you know, a, a helicopter? No, that's nothing. That's child's play. Or being buried alive with full of snakes? Oh, no, that's not scary. And, and, and finally, after begging and begging and pleading for months, she threw down an ultimatum, and she was like, look, Sung, you could go on the show if you want, but I'll tell you this. If you go on the show and you have to eat something really disgusting like cow testicles or something, I will never, ever kiss you again. <laughs> So that put to the end of any kind of uh, showmanship of my fearlessness. Well, a common misconception, especially for those of us who on the outside seem pretty fearless, is, is we believe that cor- being courageous means that uh, you're not af- afraid of anything. But, but that's not really true, right? The truth is, especially maybe for those of us who seem fearless on the outside, we're just not aware of some of the deeper fears that are in our hearts that are really controlling our, our lives. And so if you stop and actually reflect on beyond just the superficial answers, heights and, and spiders and all that kind of things, there are other answers that represent our real fears, right? Maybe the fear of rejection, the fear of being alone or not fitting in, the fear of not being good enough, the fear of uh, getting hurt or, or, or uh, losing control. <laughs> so after you've written down kind of an easy answer, I want you to write something that really does make you afraid. And maybe I'll phrase it this way. Right? Not only just what are you afraid of, but what is your worst fear? Or even better, what is your worst or, or your greatest nightmare? Okay, take a moment and write something down. What is your greatest nightmare? because we all experience fear and have to confront it. So, now with some of those answers, let's kind of dive into the story of Joshua. Last week we looked at the story of Moses. Uh, We come to this point in in the story where Moses has died, uh, and now God is calling Joshua to lead the Israelites. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 to 7. You could follow along on the screen. And this is what God says to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. And in fact, he goes on, God does, a couple times this chapter, to say that four times. Right Now, again, Joshua is about to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And he's never taken the helm of this entire people before. Moses has done that. And so there's got to be some sense of insecurity there. And not only that, he is about to go into the promised land and conquer the land that God has promised. Now, you have to understand, Joshua is a seasoned uh, military commander and warrior, so he knows that this isn't going to be easy. He knows what they're up against. Because, in fact, earlier, about 40 years earlier, Moses sent out a group of 12 spies to go and scout out the promised land, the the land of Israel. And and, uh, 10 of those spies came back with a report after scouting it out uh, that, let's say, just wasn't very encouraging. And so 10 of these spies, jo- Joshua was not, was not one of them. He was the only, one of the few that was like, hey, we could take this land. God has given it to us. But the 10 spies came back, and this is the report they gave. 
He said, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so Joshua, right, he went with the of spies, and so he has seen the fortified walls. He has seen the tall, giant warriors. And so that's why God says four different times to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Because they're not there yet, but here is what God is doing by saying this. He is preparing them ahead of time for what will happen later. And I think many of you can attest to this from your own story, right, that this is true. God prepares us now for what will be required later. In fact, you could look back and see from your life, maybe over the years, uh, what all the things that you went through and how God did exactly that, how God prepared you back then for what you would experience. And whether you know it or not, that's happening to you right now. God is preparing you for something that will be required later. And so I would even say this week, some of you will be required, you will be called upon to uh, be a person of courage, to go against your fear and to take a risk by stepping out in in faith and obedience to God. And uh, it may not be dramatic, right? When we think of courage, we think of the person who saves somebody from like a, a, a house that's burning down, right? It may not get you on the evening news, You may not actually be put in harm's way, but it requires courage nonetheless. You will be called to be men and women of courage. And so, for example, um, it takes courage for someone who's been holding off on making a decision to take their next step spiritually, to either get baptized or join a community group, right? That you may be thinking, well, I've never done anything like this before. I don't know anybody. That takes courage, It takes courage when a young woman breaks off a relationship with a guy that she really likes because she knows that this is not the person that God, that this is not what God wants for her. I mean, that's courage. It takes courage when a husband says to his wife, man, you know, what if we start praying together because I've not been the spiritual leader of of our family. And uh, I mean, that takes courage to make that confession. Or... Some of you may say to your employer uh, or your boss once and for all, say, you know what, Uh, I'm not going to doctor the books anymore. I mean, that takes courage. It takes courage to sit across from a friend and say, uh, you know, I I can't seem to control my temper and I keep yelling at my kids. Or I'm struggling with drinking and it's getting out of control. Or I'm struggling with pornography and I've I've kept it a secret. I mean, that's hard. It takes courage. It takes courage to fight for a marriage when you're not in love anymore. And so it takes courage for us to live the lives that God has called us to. Right? More than we realize, courage is a quality that we desperately need. And so God has a message for you now because of what he will be coming later on that he knows and he sees. And if we sat down and looked at the story of our lives from beginning to end, I think it would be just really clear that this is how God works, right? He prepares us ahead of time for the challenges and the obstacles that we will be facing. And so God says over and over again to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. 
They finally cross the Jordan River. They enter into the promised land. And they find themselves standing in front of a huge, gigantic wall around the city of Jericho. And they realize why God said these words to them beforehand. You see, the walls around Jericho, they were known to be impenetrable. They had an outer wall that was six feet thick and like 12 feet high. They had an inner wall that was 12 feet thick and 17 feet high. And so they came up against this wall, and there was nothing they could do. They were going like, man, we can't go around it. We can't go over it. And for some of you, you come, uh, are standing before a wall in your life, and you're thinking, how do I get over this? How do I get through this? Right? But it's exactly at this point that God gives Joshua a promise. Chapter 6 of Joshua, look at what God says to him. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Uh, well, not really, right? If you're Joshua, you're thinking, well, not, I mean, we're on, we're, God, we're still on this side of the wall, and we need to get over to that side of the wall. And other than that minor detail, I guess that's true. But notice what God says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. He speaks of what hasn't happened as, it, as if it already has. God is speaking. He uses the past tense, right? I have delivered Jericho, but nothing's even happened. God promises that he will deliver the city even before there's been a battle. And so this fills Joshua with courage and his men. They're motivated. And then look what happens next. God reveals his battle plan. And he says to Joshua, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear a sound, a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. I mean, this must seem pretty ridiculous, right? Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And if you're Joshua, I'm thinking, uh, you sure about that, God? That, that seems uh, uh, really unconventional. Like, here's Joshua, a great commander with a lot of experience on the battlefield, and he hears God's battle plan, and he thinks, well, that's not exactly what I was thinking. In fact, I'm sure Joshua had, had, had his own ideas, that he had drawn up plans and strategies of how they were going to overtake the city, I can tell you for certain that in none of Joshua's planning did the phrase marching band ever come to mind, right? Okay, God, you want me to march around the city seven, like, okay, this doesn't make sense. This is not what I had in mind. What is God doing? And this is often what he does in our lives too. What God is doing is he is setting things up against himself. He takes the odds away from himself and he stacks the deck against himself to demonstrate his power and his strength, so at the end of the day, everyone knows that, this is the, that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so I'm sure Joshua right now is pretty anxious and fearful. Like, I don't know how we're going to do this. This sounds ridiculous. It just sounds really stupid. Uh, but as they move forward in courageous faith, everything happens just as God says, says it would. The city collapses, and they overtake the city. And here's the point that I want to make in, with Joshua's story. They moved forward, they obeyed God, even though it didn't make a lot of sense. They moved forward in obedience to God, even though they were full of fear. And so we see that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is actually moving forward in spite of fear. 
Right? Again, a courageous person isn't somebody who's not afraid. Courage is not moving forward because you're not afraid. Courage is moving forward even though you're afraid. Right? That is the definition of courage. But let me say this. This is not how we often respond to fear, is it? I don't know how you respond to fear, but uh, there was a study done uh, a number of years ago, and they said the number one way that people often respond to fear is not courage, but avoidance. We avoid situations and places and people and things when we're fearful. So we avoid situations where we won't know anybody at a party. And so we're like, I don't want to go. I don't know anybody. We're just fearful. We avoid the person that you think is certain doesn't like you or has something against you, right? So we do all we can to avoid that person. Or we avoid the bill that comes in the mail because we're afraid to see how much it's going to be and we're not sure if we have the money to pay for it. And so we just leave it there and don't open it up. Or uh, I know a few of you do this, right? Because you've told me you avoid meeting new people during greeting time. And so just at the end of the last song, you just kind of happen to go and go get some coffee or go to the restroom and nice strategy. I found you out, right? (laughs) Or we just tend to avoid helping out when volunteers are called for because we're just afraid of putting ourselves out there, taking that next step. Or maybe as a parent, a child needs discipline and calls for action, but you don't want the confrontation, and so you just turn up the volume on the TV and pretend like everything's okay. And so we see human nature, we tend to avoid, right? When courage is called for, we just want to avoid it. But what we see in Joshua's story is this, that courage is doing what what God has called you to do, even though you're afraid. Even though you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. You don't know what your future is going to be like, but what does it look like to move forward? You don't know exactly, you're, you're scared. You, you don't, you're, you're tired, you're alone. Courage is moving forward in spite of all of those fears. Now I think though the thing that really helped change uh, everything for Joshua and his men was this. Remember years ago, right, when Joshua was a young man sent into the land to scout it out, he came back along with the spies. The spies came back and, and the, their, their perspective was, man, the people in the land are strong, they're giants, the walls are fortified. But this time around, something has changed. Joshua and the Israelites, they actually move forward even though they're scared and they don't know how things are going to turn out. And I think what made the difference from back then to now? Like what happened? And I think one of the truths, one of the things that happened was this, and you read this throughout Joshua's story, is this. They they from focusing on their smallness to focusing on God's bigness. Remember, they said, we seem like grasshoppers to them, and, and, us, and like we're just so small. This time around, rather than comp- look, focusing on themselves, they focused on God's bigness. I don't know anything else that, that, that has the potential to be more life-changing than this. When you take your eyes off yourself and put them on God, then you are able to confront the walls that are in front of you, not because you're looking at who you are, but you are looking at who God is. And the question isn't, how big am I compared to this wall that I'm facing? The question is, how big is God? You see, Joshua and the Israelites this time around are filled with courage, not because the circumstances have changed, not because it's somehow easier now than it was back then, because it wasn't, but simply because they changed their focus and their understanding of who God is. And so that leads me to this question. I wonder 
how would your story and my story, how would your story be different if you took your eyes off your smallness and start to focus on the bigness of God? I wonder if God wants your story to tell the story about his bigness. That he wants your life to demonstrate to others that God is bigger than your problems, God is bigger than your doubts, and God is bigger than your fears. I wonder if that is the story that God wants to write. Let's go back to the question I asked before. What is your worst nightmare? All right, let's go, go back and address that. Do you know what I think the greatest and worst nightmare is for all of us? And maybe we haven't even identified or even thought about this. We are all afraid of things, but the nightmare behind the nightmare, the fear that's be, be, be underneath our greatest fear, I think is this, is to know that one day after we die, we will stand before God and we will have to answer for all the pride and deceit and cowardness of our lives with nothing else to support us except to be in the presence of God and to answer for our life. And I think this is where the ultimate antidote for our fears come into play. Right, Jesus faces the greatest nightmare when he took on himself our sins on the cross and God the Father turns his face away from his son and God abandons Jesus on the cross so that we would know that God would never ever abandon us. Right, the innocent dies for the guilty, Jesus dies for us and we are made right with God because of his sacrifice. Jesus faces the greatest nightmare so you and I never have to. And I think this is a reminder of this ultimate truth this, that really needs to seep into our bones that you will never be able to deal with your fears until you realize that Jesus dealt with your greatest nightmare for you. He has done what you could not do. He has addressed the greatest nightmare in the world. And so the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And... The way we do that, again, to overcome our deepest fears is to, is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so the writer of Hebrews says, uh, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And so we have to understand, we have to know if Jesus was able to face the greatest nightmare out of the joy of having us, of dying for us, then we can face our little nightmares out of the joy of knowing that no matter what happens to us, no matter what we go through, that ultimately that he, we are held in his hands and he will never let us go. And so we need to understand the good news of Jesus and how that really calms our fears and really needs to start with that. And so here's how I want us to respond uh, to, to the message this morning. I want us to consider this. Uh, I think throughout our lives, there are lies that we have come to believe that has robbed us of strength and courage. And so uh, we're going to take a moment and... Um, I'm going to call the worship team forward as we do this. Would you grab this card that's in front of your chairs and grab a pen and take a moment to reflect on this question. What is the lie that you have come to believe that has robbed your story of strength and courage? As you take a moment, the worship team is going to sing a song of reflection as they do that. Take a moment and just write down what is the lie that you have come to believe either from yourself or, or because of the enemy or through other people. This is the lie you've come to believe and has robbed your story of strength and courage. And then, when you're done, even if it's in the middle of the song or whatever, here's what I, we want to invite you to do. Uh, you see the communion tables up front. Um, 
and uh, you'll see some trash cans right up there in front of the tables. After you write down the lie that you've come to believe, you could do one of two things. You could just come and just crumple that up, or even better yet, take that lie, just rip it apart, come to the table, and just throw it into the trash, because that's exactly where it belongs in Christ. And then as you go do that, we, we're gonna, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper, to take the bread that represents the uh, Christ's body that was given for us, dip it in the juice, the, the, the wine that represents his blood shed for us, and then there you will see a, a five-word promise that was given to Joshua that God said to him that is to be a reminder for us as we take the Lord's Supper. Let those words be a promise to you. Be nourished by God's strength and his courage as we do this. And so, again, the worship team will sing a song. Uh, while, while they do that, take a moment, and would you write down and respond to, to this question?